one? Uh, I think they wanted to do that one. He wants to do it in A. It's an A. not too bad, Carol. Carol, E flat's not too bad for a male voice. It's not too bad for a male voice. He's all I need. It's not too bad for a male voice. That's not too bad for a male voice. The E flat. E flat. say yes? Did, did he say yes? Oh, sure. I got plenty of faith. You left all your pens and pencils back there.
good evening. Let's stand this evening. Let's uh, sing an old hymn of the church. You can find it in the red back hymnal there, or you can watch it on the screen. It simply says, Jesus, hold my hand. So let's worship the Lord this evening. Well, as I travel through this Yeah. 
grateful that you can hold on to the hand of the Lord tonight. Amen. We're going to ask you this time to take a few moments and greet those around you, and then we'll come back to worship together. God bless you. standing for prayer and then we're going to get back into worship this evening. We're going to sing a couple of praise choruses that you know here in just a few moments, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for the presence of God we have felt in your house today. Lord, you truly were in our midst this morning. Lord, though some of us, uh, Lord, may have not been able to come back tonight, maybe are watching online or some that were here tonight that weren't here this morning, I do believe the same God that was with us this morning can go to those homes or can even touch the ones here tonight that needs a touch from the portals of heaven today. Lord, I pray that every song that is sung, every note that is played, Lord, it would be for the glory and honor of your kingdom. And God, I'm asking that you would take the remaining portion of this service and let it be done fitting and in order that would bring glory and honor to you and that you would be pleased with it and inhabit the praise of your people. And for that, we will give you the praise and glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. And the people of God together said... Amen. 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 If you remain standing as the worship team makes their way, we're going to sing this old praise chorus. It was written in 1977. And it simply said, uh, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I can sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. So let's sing it together.
place we'd rather be than in your presence today, Lord. Lord, you truly made yourself so known to us this morning, and I believe many hearts and lives were touched. So, Lord, we ask you tonight, Lord, to come in this place and inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, everything we say and do, let it be, Lord, pleasing unto you. Lord, let this anthem we're getting ready to sing be our cry to you, one that, Lord, we take to heart. There's no place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be.
many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I did know right from wrong. Oh, but in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials only come to make.
your presence in this place. Oh, Lord, we take a moment to worship you in this house. Oh, we love you, Lord. We glorify your name. Oh, we thank you, Lord. You know, there's a lot of folks in this building we prayed for this morning, you know, whether it's cancer, some with some job uncertainties and other things. God's still in control. He doesn't catch him off guard. It doesn't matter what we're facing. He still knows what we're going through. Oh, yes, he does. I've learned. Oh, I've learned to depend upon his word. I've learned to depend upon his word. I've learned to depend. together for it reaches to the
knowing we can experience the sweet presence of the Lord. We worship you today, Lord. We glorify your name. We magnify you because, Lord, we know that you are great and greatly to be praised. Oh, we worship you, Jesus, and we pray. thank you, Lord, for the sweet presence that we feel every day. God, we're asking, God, that your spirit would still just rain down. Just make residency with us this evening. Father, there is a lot of words that can be spoken by mortal men, but nothing can be communicated any better than from you yourself. When you speak, doesn't matter what we say because your word is yes and amen forever settled in heaven and God today we stand in this house first and foremost to say thank you thank you that you're God thank you that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother thank you that we can trust you even in the midst of uncertainties Thank you that even when I don't know the plan, you have plans for me, declares the Lord, to prosper me and not to harm me. Even when I don't know the way, if I delight myself in the Lord, desires the heart, but the key to that is delighting in the Lord. And even when I get a little derailed and distracted, the steps of a good man and woman are ordered of the Lord. And if I trust you with all my heart, I can lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you and you'll make the pathway known. God, that's your word. That's not our conjured up, just random thoughts we had one afternoon. That is the Word of God. That's from your Word. That's what you said. But Lord, tonight we stand in this place on the premises and precepts of your Word. Line by line, precept upon precept of your Word. There are people standing in this audience today that are facing serious health issues. Multiple people in this audience. There are people in this audience that have been already through surgical procedures and are struggling with some pain and 
inflammation and effects from that. There are some in this house this evening that probably no doubt are not feeling the very best in their bodies or even in their spirit. There are some facing future surgeries. There are some today, Lord, that their jobs hang in the balance. They thought that things were working out, but it seems to be there's been a little bit of a chalk in the wheel, if you will. But there's a God who knows how to unstop things that have been clogged up. There's a God who still prescribes healing medicines, balms of Gilead. There's still a God who provides from the pharmacies of heaven. God, today, I'm asking that you just speak to us in the solemnness and secrecy of this moment. Father, I no doubt believe that there are countless men and women under the sound of my voice today that no doubt God they know and they believe and are persuaded in whom they believe in and know that he is able to keep unto you them the things which they've charged to you until that day but that doesn't mean sometimes we don't struggle on this side of heaven it doesn't mean that we don't still have frustrations, anxieties, but you're great. You're great. And for that, we give you praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the people of God said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I have a message tonight. Don't worry about the screens. Uh, we're not going to go there. I do have a message tonight that I was going to speak, but as the Lord has directed this service, and I've seen his hand move, I am moved a little bit to go in a different direction. Someone's car is going off right now. I have thought for a moment as I, we were singing and some of you I haven't seen a good Jericho march in a long time. Had I not been helping continue to lead that song, I thought about getting up and just joining the fun. I need the exercise. I hadn't seen one of them since I was a kid. Some of you did that this evening and others were praying. I don't have, obviously, a bunch of notes in front of me because we're going off script. But as we were singing, we were praying, I started thinking about Psalms 92. If you have your Bibles, it's not going to be on the screen just because I don't have it put in there tonight in Psalms 92. If you want to look up there, Madison, and Bibles and go to Psalms 92, you can follow along with me up there on the top that are say Bibles in Psalms 92 it should already be in the right translation there but for the rest of you let me black out that screen for you now hit that for me there again the scripture 90, Psalm 92 and verse 1 is it on there? go ahead and flip it up there for me so I can read along with us 
It is good to give thanks to the Lord. You can stand if you want for the reading of the word. I, I won't make you sit forever or stand forever. I just want to read a couple of them, and we're just going to keep reading. We're going to talk about them. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name most high. That's what we just did. I mean, that's what we just, we, we just did that. We started singing this morning. We sang, I love to sing your praises, Lord. We sang, we've come to praise him. We, most of every song we had this morning had some word of praise in it, somewhere in it. Tonight, we come, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was growing up as a kid, Sunday nights were our good services. That was our spirit-led throwdowns. You didn't have a lot of visitors. You just let your hair down. You had church kind of made. Tonight, we had Jericho marches. We had people praying. We had the body. You can't get a more beautiful picture of church than when people pray for each other and the preacher doesn't have to get involved. Think about what I just said. It's not that preachers shouldn't pray. Brother Causey's and the Brother Ard's and the others, and we're glad to have Brother Ard back with us tonight, but, but all these pastors, yes, we'll pray for you. But it's, I guarantee you, if Brother Causey was here, after church you could ask Brother Ard or countless others. There's nothing more beautiful for a preacher of the gospel or a pastor and evangelist to see than when people pray for each other before we have to ask them to do it. That's a beautiful thing beautiful thing when people can under the direction of the holy spirit feel compelled to go and pray for their brother or sister in the lord grab them by the hand or march them around a church or go lay hands on them or even spouses it's even tonight we saw people that left their post of duty and grabbed their spouse hand and pray for them because they are coming together as one accord in the spirit there's nothing more beautiful than that that's what church is designed to be helping one another not about a he said she said my show their show it's about god's show we're just a part of the big production that he's putting on he's the director of the script so it is good to give thanks unto the lord and it's good to sing praises unto his name which we did verse two to declare your loving kindness or your goodness in the morning and your faithfulness by night Verse 3, with ten-string lutes and with harps and resounding music on the lyre, or some will say the harp or lyre, think about what he just said. Not only should you sing praises, but it's beautiful to do it when you have music to it. He first said, give thanks to the Lord. We did that. Sing praises to the Lord. We did that. He said, but it, even, it sounds even better in heaven when there's music involved. The lute, the, the lute, the harp, and the lyre, those were musical instruments of the day. He said, when you put music behind it, well, music, 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 music. I mean, we put music with it. That's what he says. For you, O Lord, verse 4, have made me glad, or joyful, one translation says. You have made me glad, or joyful. By what you have done, I will sing for joy over the works of your hands. He said, Lord, I made me glad. You know, the Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house. Lord, you have made me glad, joyful, and I'm going to sing, which is what we just did, because of what you've done. Now look at what verse 5 says. How great are your works. The things we're singing about... We can't even begin to give you enough credit. They're so great. Your thoughts, they're very deep. A senseless man. 
verse 6, a senseless man. One translation says it in the NASB in the 2020 edition. He says a stupid person. You can't get much more plain than that. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does the foolish understand this. Verse 7, then the wicked sprouted up like the grass, and all those who did iniquity flourished. It was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. Verse 8, but you. I told you this morning, always God always seems that when he puts a but in a sentence, it changes the outcome. But you, God, are forever. Behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies will perish and will do iniquity and scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox and have anointed me with a fresh oil. Verse 10 says, I have been anointed with fresh oil. In Scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Fire and other things. But the oil was always attached throughout Scripture similarly to the Holy Spirit. The psalmist one time said, as the oil ran down the beard of Aaron, talking about when they would take the horn, the ram's horn full of oil and they would pour it and it would literally cover his entire face to to, to differentiate or to set him apart and to basically anoint him, let's forget the term anointing, anoint him as a chosen vessel of the Lord. Look at what the psalmist said. He said, I've been anointed with fresh oil. You know what he's saying in today's, if he were, if he were here today, what he'd say? I have had a refilling and a refreshing with the Holy Spirit. I got another a touch. I got another in feeling. I got another anointing. I felt the Holy Spirit in a way I haven't felt him in a long, long time. Well, isn't it good when God visits us freshly? Not something we have to keep holding on to for years and years and years down the road, but fresh touch from God. Verse 11, my eyes have looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. But this end of the verse 12, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13, planted in the house of where? That's church. That's church. The house of the Lord's church. The body of Christ, the temple of the they will flourish in the courtyards of God. He said the righteous, they will be strong. They will be successful. They will, they will be okay just like a palm tree. But it's, it all is contingent on where they're planted. Not planted in every other soil out there, but planted in the house of the Lord. Meaning when they are planted with God's people in his house. Where two or three gather in my name, I am in the midst. You may be seated tonight. I don't have, I'm not going to title this. I'm not going to talk very long. I'm just going to talk with you for a moment. The Bible says, Psalms 92, the righteous will be like palm trees. But the contingency is they're planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courtyards of God. See, I don't have to tell you if you've been here long enough to know. Most of you have been here a long period of time, or at least the same amount of time as I have been. I shared with you this morning, last Sunday, technically on a, on Sunday, the second Sunday of July, made three years. But Thursday actually was my third year to date, if you will, 
in this location. I don't have to tell you that we have seen some come. We have seen some go. Don't wish them any. I don't wish them any ill will. Do not miss what I'm saying. Please don't go home and start saying, "Well, the pastor's mad because people left." No, 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 no. no. They had their own reasons for various reasons. Some had some valid reasons. Some were working out some what I call interpersonal struggles due to family dynamics and other things that caused that. Some left just because they felt like their season had come and they were were called to do something different. And we we are totally okay. We have sent people out to do ministry. I remember, I, we've shared it here before, I remember the day that Pastor Art, who's here tonight, I remember when he told me about the church that he needed to help, but dude, they were having low numbers, only running six and seven on Wednesday nights, and they were just struggling, and he felt like he could be a blessing. You know what I said? I said, absolutely, do it. Go help them. I've been there, done that, worked in churches like that. If we could, because you know, that Sunday when we prayed for him here, him and Sister Ard before they left, you know what I remembered saying? And I, I remember the day I said, it is like an extension of us going there. It doesn't matter who stands there. It's like we sent, we helped send them out. And so every sermon that was preached, every soul that was won, we had a part in it because we helped bless them to go do the ministry of Christ. We've seen some come. We've seen some go. We've seen, we've seen new people come each week. We've had visitors. We've, we've seen even this morning... Uh, I don't even remember. Carol might would know the number, but we had countless visitors' cards turned in. We see it happen a lot around our campus. Then there are some we've seen for a couple months, and they came consistently. They fell off the grid, and we hadn't seen them in a long time. And some of them said they're not coming back for various reasons. Some didn't really give us an answer. Some, they're not going to church anywhere. They're just not going at all. They're watching online, but they won't come in-house. They all have their reasons. But the Bible's still the Bible, whether we like it or not. And I know that I'm not stomping and snorting and spitting and hollering at you, but I want you to understand that regardless if I am Dr. David Jeremiah in this moment rather than, you know, Bishop Tim Hill in this moment, the reality of it is God's Word does not change. It didn't change. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves as in the manner of some, but it come together in exhortation one with another. That's the Bible, not me. I didn't say that. I didn't write it. In fact, I wasn't there when it got written. It was written long before I was born. So you can get mad, sad, or glad, get online and say, well, the pastor, no, I, I, I didn't say it. I'm just repeating what's already in the book. Now, I had a conversation with Brother James, who couldn't be here tonight, but Brother James and I were talking after church this morning, and he asked me, obviously rhetorically speaking, we were just talking and we were just sharing together. And he said, Pastor, I don't understand something. Maybe you understand. He said, why don't we believe the Bible? It threw me off guard for a minute. I said, excuse me. He said, why don't we believe the Bible? I said, well, I, I feel like we do. I feel like I, we, we preach, the, whether it's Pastor Art or Pastor Calsey. I feel like we preach the Word. I, I, I feel like that we do. He said, no, no, that's not what I'm saying, Pastor. I'm not saying about our church. He said, I'm talking about universally. Because if we believed the Bible, we would do things differently in the world than we're doing today. We can't take, and the, the, the premise, if you will, that he was going after was, you can't just take parts of the Bible you like and overlook the parts you don't like. It's not how that works. And he was referring to us praying this morning. He said, Pastor, he said, I really want you to know how much I enjoyed just seeing people come up and get prayed for. He said, because a lot of churches, they don't go pray for the sick. 
because they don't really believe they can be, be made whole or healed. But the Bible said, he said, Pastor, I didn't write it. I just share the same name as the guy who wrote it named James. He said, but I didn't write it. That was a James that was a lot older than me and a lot more wiser. He said, but my brother in Christ, James, years ago said, if there are any sick among you. He said, go to the doctor, get a, get a scan, get on about 14 different medications, watch your blood pressure soar, and take your, you know, your, your uh, metformin for your diet. Take all these medicines and hope for the best. No, no. James said, if there are any sick among you, if you want to go to the doctor, that's your prerogative. But, but James said, if you are sick, let him call on the elders of the church, that means the leadership of the church, and let them come and lay their, lay their hands upon you and pray the prayer of faith because the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women availeth much that if we're sick, we should be praying that sucker out. That's what he said. I didn't say it. That's what James said. The Bible tells me that when people were sick, that they'd bring them out into the streets, Sister Alma. And Peter didn't even touch him. He just had the sundial from the reflection of the sun making a shadow across the street. And his sundial shadow healed people while he's just walking down the road. He didn't have to go to their house and give a, you know, do rosary beads and do 14 steps and not pour a whole gallon of oil on them and slap them in the face and beat them with the Schofield Bible. No, the Bible said he could just be walking down the street and anybody that just happened to be brushed by his shadow because God was so strong in his life, they were healed without him ever having to physically touch them. That's the Bible. Again, going back to Brother James's premise this morning. Pastor, why don't we believe the whole Bible? When's the last time you ever saw where someone was healed without anybody having to get involved? Nobody except God. I'm not, I'm not talking about laying hands. I'm, I'm, I'm saying somebody came, whether they prayed on their own or whether they were just sitting in the pew beside you, and while you were praying, the Lord healed them just because you sat beside them. Think about it. I mean, it's the Bible. That's what the Bible said. And the Bible also said that when some were sick, they would take aprons or handkerchiefs. The men and women of God would pray. Then they'd go take those claws to the sick, and they recovered. See, that's why churches, especially ours and others, that's why churches still do what we call prayer claws. Because we believe that there's nothing special about the cloth. But it's about the prayer that's been seasoned over the cloth so that when it transfers from my hand unto your hand or transfers from this church's hand into your hand, the same God that was in the building when we prayed now is in the house with you when you got the cloth. A transformation or, if you will, a transfer, transferring of power. Psalms 92 said, I'll give thanks unto the Lord. I'll sing His praises. We've done all of that. But at the end, he says, the righteous will be like the palm tree. A palm tree is one of my favorite trees of all time. I love oak trees in terms of the way they look, but I hate them when storms come. Because pine trees and oak trees, they snap real quickly. You don't believe it, get on YouTube and watch Hurricane Hugo and watch trees just start snapping like someone's just flicking them off of the coastline. I love a beautiful pine tree. It's so beautiful. 
till them stupid pine cones fall off, and I hate them. Because i got to pick every one of them suckers up before I can cut the grass so they don't mess up my lawnmower blades. And it's going to take me four hours to get those suckers up before I even start the grass because it dumped a whole tree down in the grass. Annoying things. Pine straw falls, got to rake it up, which is great, and put it around things, but it makes a mess. A good South Carolina thunderstorm comes through. It blows pine straw all over the yard I just blew off, all over the patio, all over the deck, all over. I mean, I got pine straw on top of the roof, oh, in the gutters. I mean, a good thunderstorm just makes my nice manicured yard look like a mess. Palm trees, though, they're different. Palm trees are made out of what is called porous wood, which means it can take water, it can intake water, and it allows the wood to, if you will, be malleable or able to be moved and bent and shaped without snapping. In fact, during Hugo and other major storms that have hit South Carolina's coastline, there have been documented pictures of giant trees of, of pine trees and oak trees that snapped like this. But entire palm trees that had started erect but had been all the way over and the top of the tree was touching the ground across the road or whatever else, but it had not snapped off yet. It was just bent. Because the palm tree, though it bends, it is very difficult to break. It doesn't say when the storms come, scientists won't ever say, when storms come, the palm tree won't ever feel the effects of the storm. You see, the palm tree feels the same storm, the oak tree and the pine tree and the other trees. The same storm hit the palm trees. The difference is the palm trees, the, the pine trees and the oak trees and the magnolia trees, they all snapped under the weight of pressure. They snapped when the storms came. They snapped when everything got difficult. They snapped. Anybody, I don't want you to raise your hand, but anybody ever gotten sometimes in the places of life where you were so much under pressure you snapped at the wrong moment? You didn't mean to, but you snapped. You couldn't take the weight anymore. Those trees snapped. But not the palm tree. Palm tree felt the same storm and it kept bending and it kept bending and it kept bending and it kept bending and it finally touched the ground where it couldn't bend really anymore but it never broke. It was bent but it never broke. See the devil, God never said you'll never face storms. What the Bible did say is that even in the midst of the storm, I will be with you. I will not let you go under. It doesn't mean there aren't times in your life you won't feel bent like you're being bent from one side to the other. But if you have God on your side, you don't have to break under the weight of the enemy. You don't have to break under the, the temptations. You don't have to break, lay, lay aside every weight and snare that so easily entangles you and run the race. It doesn't mean you won't face the same storms that everybody else faces. You may walk through divorce. You may walk through financial crisis or bankruptcy. Or you might lose jobs or you may have to face sicknesses or diseases. But what it does mean is it doesn't mean you won't go through trials and fiery trials and, and, and experience frustration, frustrating days. But when you have God on your side, you can bend but not break. The enemy can try to throw his entire assault against you, but if God is for you, who can be against you? And even if the devil throws a whole entire conglomerate of things that says there's no way you're going to get out of this. There's no way you're going to survive this. There's no way you're going to come out on top. There's no way. Your faith might be rocked. It might be shaken. But if you are like the palm tree, you can bend under the weight of 
troubles and trials and struggles, but you don't have to break and let the enemy win. You don't have to let the enemy win. The righteous are like palm trees. They might feel storms. They may get rocked sometimes in lives. We don't see it coming. We went to the doctor just for a normal checkup. They did some blood work. Didn't like some abnormalities in the blood work. Sent us to this. And before we know it, our world got rocked. We didn't see it coming. We didn't get a, uh, uh, we didn't get a, a, a you know, a, a, if you will, a foreshadowing or a premonition. It was coming. We didn't see it. We thought life was great. And then, boom, the storm came out of nowhere like a good South Carolina thunderstorm in the afternoon. Don't see it coming. Life's great. Get out there in the middle of the water at Bono Beach. And about that time, bow, everything changes on the water. Changes the day real quickly. You see, sometimes in life we will have storms rock us. But we don't have to let the enemy break us. I was perplexed. I was persecuted. I was abandoned. But I was not destroyed. The Apostle Paul said. He said, I was perplexed. I didn't see it coming. I was persecuted. They did everything they could to try to break me. I was struck down, thrown in prison, beat. I was beaten. I was perplexed. I was abandoned. I was struck down. But the Apostle Paul said, but I was not destroyed. I walked through it. Hell came against me. And life was just literally throwing me wave after wave, storm after storm, crash after crash. But somehow I still kept coming up for one more swing. It's like a good boxing match. A good boxing match, a boxer will take on a lot of punches. But it's only the one punch. It only takes one good punch to end the fight. We can go through eight rounds, boxing, 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 boxing. But one punch can end that fight. And you know when normally that punch comes? When the opponent least expects it coming. They'll have their hands up. They'll have their face protected. They're protecting. They'll take jabs. Muhammad Ali was one of the famous of all time. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, all those famous analogies he had. I'm the greatest, you know, Muhammad Ali, all that stuff. He'd keep his hands up, but one thing that made Muhammad Ali such a good fighter is he never stopped moving in the ring. It is hard to hit a moving target. If I stand here and let you come, it's not hard to hit me. But if I'm constantly moving from one side to the other, and as soon as you go, I, j I jump back, it makes it harder to hit a moving target than it does a stationary target. And Muhammad Ali in those rings, he would bounce, and he would, he would kind of go around his opponent, and the opponent would swing, and he would bounce all the way around him. Yeah, sometimes Muhammad Ali would take a nice George Foreman shot to the rib cage, or he'd take one to a gut or a kidney punch. But he always kept his hands apart protecting his face. Because Muhammad Ali knew I can take a lot of body shots, but it's only going to take one good head blow, and I'm on this mat. And there's been many fights that Muhammad Ali fought where if you counted the punches landed by his opponent, his opponent landed a whole lot more punches on Muhammad Ali than Muhammad Ali landed on them. Except there's one rule in boxing. It's called a knockout. And see, if we go all 12 rounds, then we have to calculate how many punches were landed and how many combinations were hit and all that stuff. But do you realize whether it's in the first round, the third round, the fifth round, seventh round, 11th round, or the 12th round, it doesn't matter if you've hit me 900 times and I've only hit you once. If my once KOs you, it means knocks you out, guess who wins? 
I do. No matter how many times you hit me, I win. Muhammad Ali oftentimes would do it, and he'd wait. And his opponent would be jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing. And about that time, Muhammad Ali would wait till his opponent would drop his hands. And about that time, the whole flight, fly, uh, fly like a butterfly, foot like a butterfly, sting like a bee, Muhammad Ali would land what is called a one-two combination. He would go bow, bow, bow. And in three shots, the man was on the canvas just like that. You know why? Because he watched his opponent effectively. He waited for his, his enemy, if you will, his opponent, to let their guard down. And once they let his guard down, Muhammad Ali went in for the kill shot. Bow! And knocked him out. See, the devil is interested in kill shots. And the problem is in the world today is a lot of us start out fighting this good fight of faith. And the devil might throw us some kidney shots and back punches, etc., so on and so forth. But what he's really waiting on is for us to tire out and let our guard down. He's waiting for us not to have the full armor of God protecting us. He's waiting for us to not put on that helmet of salvation or breastplate of righteousness. He's waiting for us to not pray that day. He's waiting for us to not read that word. He's waiting for us to let the guard down so he can hit us with that kill shot. For the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's waiting for the sucker punch, if you will. But can I tell you, that you could do the same to the enemy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It won't work. The Bible says, Greater is he that's living in me than he that's in the world. Which means I may take a lot of body blows, cancer, divorces, financial issues, job issues. I may take a lot of punches in my lifetime. Or you may take a lot of punches. But if I keep my guard up, one of these days the enemy's going to make a mistake. And when he opens himself up, the same enemy that's using his weapons against me, God, what the enemy means for evil, God will turn it around for good. And when the enemy lets his guard down, God will step in and hit the knockout punch that I never even saw coming. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. The battle is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. I may just be protecting myself, but as soon, whether it's on this side of heaven or whether it's on that side of heaven, they will come a day. The enemy will let his guard down and God will hit the final blow and the enemy will be left laying flat on the canvas of life. The problem is we cannot let our guard down in the process because if we let our guard down, he, the enemy, will come in for that fatal blow. He will. Like that palm tree, it bends but doesn't break. I may take a lot of shots. I just cannot let me take the final blow. The final shot. So, well, Pastor, how can I do that? How can I not experience that fatal shot? I'm going to tell you. The righteous are like palm trees. They'll flourish. They'll, they'll be strong like a palm tree. They're successful. But I'm going to give you real quick the answer, and then we're going to be done. I'm going to tell you exactly how you can do that. Madison, will you put Psalms 92 and 13 on there if you still have it up there? I can be like a palm tree, but here is the critical aspect. Planted in the house of the Lord. Because once I isolate myself from God's people, I have set myself up as a target for the enemy. There is something called strength in numbers. There is. And if I'm not careful, the enemy 
will make sure that I'm isolated because he doesn't want us together because the kingdom together, united we stand, divided we fall. The devil knows if I get them by themselves, if I get that sheep alone from the rest of the flock, if I get them alone, I can take them out. They're all alone. So how do I take body shots and blows and the effects of the enemy and not get broken, only bend but not break? I'll tell you how. You have to stay planted with God's people. Planted in the right field, planted in the right tree. You got to stay planted. Because when you drift, I'm not talking about just going from church to church. That's not what I mean. When you drift away from the presence of God and you start staying at home and you start doing stuff by yourself and you don't have the community of faith around you, when you start drifting, that's when the enemy starts coming. Because you now have not only made yourself a moving target, you've made yourself a vulnerable target because you're all alone. No one's there to help you. So you know what I like? You know why I like church? Because some Sundays I just don't feel like I have it. Some Sundays I walk in, Miss Carol, you can make your way and uh, make me sound better than this is going. There are some Sundays I walk in this building, I don't feel like preaching. I'm just going to be honest. In that moment, I feel like I would rather do anything but preach today. I'm tired. I'll be honest with you. If God was that way this morning, I told Brianna coming back. I got home Thursday night slash Friday morning at 2.30, about 2.30 in the morning. Well, between 1.30 and 2 in the morning. By the time I got to bed, it was like 2.30, 2.45. I came up here Friday morning, finished studying for Sunday, went home, did some things I needed to get done there, being out for a week, got to bed late on Friday night, just trying to play catch up because I was on youth camp time. We had a full day of activities yesterday. I told her and I got out, I got out the bed this morning. She was already getting dressed. I went in to the. We have a double vanity. Hers is on this side, mine's on the other side. And I went and I literally stood at the vanity just like this and put my head down on it and just laid sat there. And as loving as she can be, she said, "What is wrong with you?" I said, "I'm tired." She said, "Suck it up." Thank you, baby. Appreciate that tired you know what I wanted to do I'm going to be honest you know what I wanted to do I wanted to call somebody and say I just don't think I'm going to make it today I'm going to I wanted to come but I woke up this morning I just was tired so I, I just think this morning I know it's 8.30 in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning and I know church starts at 11 but I think I was going to call brother Randy and just let him know I'm not going to make it to preach this morning I'm not going to make it to help lead worship this morning. I'm not going to make it to help lead the, do the sound or the media or whatever my role is in the church. I'm just going to call him two hours before church is supposed to start and just say, I just don't feel like I can do it today. I'm just tired. That's what I wanted to do. Now, I, please don't take offense to what I'm saying, but that's what church people do. They don't think about the gaps they're leaving when they don't show up. I'm not talking about emergencies. I'm talking about I wake up this morning and I just don't have that feeling factor. So I decide I'm not coming. That might leave me a gap on the praise team. Or that might leave me a gap in a nursery. Or that might leave me a gap in children. Or that might leave me a gap in the sound. Or that might leave me a gap in a Sunday school class. I may have a gap, but all, we, oh, I'm sure you understand. No, I don't understand. Because some of us don't want to come every week either. But if we all didn't come, we wouldn't have a church either. And if we, all did, if we were all really truthful, if we, didn't, if we all didn't come, when we didn't feel like coming, you would be here. You would be here a whole lot less than you are, 
And the reality of the fact, if we all were truthfully self-reflecting and said truthfully how many times we did not want to come, you would be out of church more in a year than you'd be here in a year telling the truth. And you know I'm right. It's the truth. Because more often than not, we just don't have that it factor. We just don't feel it. Whatever it is, we don't feel it. We'll call not coming. There's gaps. There's still a soundboard or there's still a music, musical chair. There, and I'm not talking about emergencies. Well, there might be a class. I'm not talking about if you got up sick, but I'm talking about people sometimes they don't think about well, just because they don't feel like coming how everybody else has to pick up the slack to make the stuff work. Because God's word still has to be preached. People are still planning on coming to church however few they may be and somebody has to make sure that everything works that day. But this morning, I was honest. I I thought to myself, you know, I wish I could just call somebody and say, I just don't feel it today. I don't feel like coming. Because every time I come to church, I don't always feel like preaching or feel like singing or feel like playing. Sometimes I don't feel it. Good thing faith's not based on just how I feel. Because if my faith depended on how I feel, more often than not, I wouldn't have a lot of faith. Because I don't always feel like God's listening. And I don't always feel like God's on my side. I don't always feel Him moving. So if I base everything off of a feeling, most of the time I'm going to be a sad person. See, the reality of it is, I don't live by feeling, I live by faith. When I get ready to close tonight, I want to say it like this. You see, the experiences that we had services this morning, see, sometimes when I come to church, I'm not feeling it. But when I'm not feeling it, somebody else might be feeling it. And when I'm in the room, and they're in the room, and then God starts moving, and they start experiencing something, it kind of rejuvenates me and lets me feel it, whatever it is at that moment. Because I, I got here this morning, I was tired, I sat down, I, we went through rehearsals, and we did our thing, and we went to Sunday school, and you know, it's whatever. We did our worship, it's whatever, it's fine. We had the altar call, I was like, man, I'm ready to go eat lunch. But I'm not lie to you, when I started seeing people come to this altar and start praying one for another, and people started getting a, a special touch from the Lord, and they... One behind the other would say, well, can we pray for them? And can this one pray for this one? And, we, and then people just started praying together. And, and the kind of experience we had this morning in church, I, I forgot all about how tired I felt in that moment. Now, I'm going to lie to you. When the anointing left and I got in my car to leave, Brother Randy and all them left out. And I was the last one here. I sat in the car for about 10 minutes in the driveway here because I didn't feel like driving. I was tired. I was like, God, I don't even know if I can put this thing in drive. I was tired. But about 20 minutes earlier when we were all in the altar, I didn't think nothing about being tired. I was having the time of my life up here with the rest of you. I didn't get to go home and take a nap today. I was sitting in my chair dealing with the crisis with my digital sermon iPads that I always have to use that have now hit the dust. And I don't know how we're going we're gonna to figure out with the Lord's help how to fix that. So we're going back to paper days for now. But I was sitting there trying to figure out all this technological stuff. Didn't really get to do that. I came back to church. You know what I thought, Sister Alma? Immediately when I got here, God, I don't want to do this again. I'm tired. Still hadn't got my nap in. We sang. 
In fact, I, I don't even know which part of the song made it work in terms of, I know we were singing He's All I Need, but I mean, I don't even remember what really started it other than about that time I was just playing. I started seeing people like Miss Brenda Burbage go and start praying with his hand. I was like, okay. Then Miss Sherry just vanishes on me. She, just, she was there. It's like the rapture. She was there. And then she was like Enoch. She was. Then she was not. She was just gone. She was like the spirit of Enoch. I didn't pay attention until I looked. And I'm like, where did she go? I know she's saved, but is she the only one that went besides us? I mean, the rest of us got left but her? Something had to happen. I mean, that doesn't seem fair. I happened to look across, but now because I had my eyes closed, I looked across, and she's over there praying to Brother Marion about a situation they have going on. And I thought, okay. Then I see some people, Jericho marching, and people gathering around and praying with one another, and people's hands lifted, and people worshiping the Lord. And you know what I thought sitting there? I wasn't tired anymore. I didn't feel it at that moment. I felt good again. I felt like, whew, thank you, Lord, for another good day. See, but that's why the righteous are like the palm trees planted in the house of the Lord. I do better when I'm with God's people than when I'm not with God's people. And he said they flourish in the courtyards of God. Do you know what the courtyard represented? It represented fellowship. It represented relationship. In the temple, the tabernacle, the courtyard is where they had the main altars. They had the brazen altars. And they had the altars of sacrifice. And they, it was a time when they made their petitions to God. They prayed. They had all that. And, 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 and basically any of the priesthood could stand out in the courtyard. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But the rest of the priests could all, they could all hang out and talk and share together. They could all be in the courtyard together. See, courtyard represents community. Relationships. Joining together. See, we do better when we are together than when we are apart. We flourish together, not when we're segregated. So I want to tell you that how much I am thankful to God. For a church, whether it's on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, that still comes together, prays together, prays for one another, fasts together, call each other on the phone, send them a text message, check on one another. I, th- I am thankful, immensely grateful. I tell this to Brandon a lot about other churches. We talk about different things. I am so grateful to be a part of a church that we're family. We're, we're not just some random stranger. We're not some random number. We're not just a number in some bingo board of attendance. But we know by name. That's Robert Powers. He wasn't in church today. Oh, he was in church today. Or Brother Chambers was missing it. We can walk by pews and say, you know, I didn't see Brother Chambers today. And I didn't see Chris Craven today. And I didn't see this because we know each other by name. We are family. I love that. And I'm thankful that God has given us that correlation together. But there's still work to be done. There's still a world that's dying that needs the loving message of the Savior preached and taught to them and we're the ones that need to do it before we pray you know that's why we have fellowship on Wednesday night again 7pm on Wednesday nights in the back back here that's why we have this Bible study so we can hang out fellowship and talk to grow together iron sharpens iron so must the friend sharpen the friend we do this together because we're better together than we are apart and that's what I want to leave you with today before we leave
We should be thankful that we have each other. It says, give thanks unto the Lord. Sing praises unto his name. The Lord has made us glad. We should be thankful that we have each other. Because without each other, the enemy would have a field day with us. But I'm glad for people that will grab other people by the hand and pray for them. Because maybe Miss Ann wasn't feeling the best today, but Sister Brenda might have been, so she prayed for her to make sure that she can make it another day. That's what family is all about. That's what we're all about. Father, to the very best of my ability, I have shared my heart from what you have imparted to me just in this service alone. We're getting ready to leave and go to and fro our destinations, but God, thank you that we're a family. The family of God brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord as we leave this place may you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us you be gracious to us lift up your countenance give us a peace of God that surpasses understanding God our hearts may the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight O Lord our strength and redeemer and it's forever we commit this and settle it in the portals of heaven in Christ's name we pray amen before Brother Randy prays our, or actually Pastor Art, I'm sorry. I'm going to have Pastor Art do it. Before Pastor Art prays our benedictory prayer, let me say to all our online guests, thank you for joining us. We're going to sign off with them at this time. Thank you guys for being here uh, with us in service this evening. Before Pastor Art prays the benedictory prayer, I do want to say 